ended with us. It's called Crossroads Church. Some of you may have heard of it, but trying to look at ways that we can partner to do more for Christ in the valleys that we represent and thinking more about um, the, not only can we do more together, but uh, we have a specific environment, this resort community that we're in and just working through praying and talking with them about how do we actually connect and bless and bring peace and the hope of the gospel into that kind of place. You know, it's a certain kind of person that's there. And so I'm excited to see what's going to happen. It was just, it was kind of like a dating session. We kind of met each other, got to know each other, went out to dinner. You know, I like the beach and sports cars and they like whatever. So we, we talked about all that, got to know each other. But it was, it was really good and a nice break for Claire and I. So we'll, you'll hear more about uh, all of that as God unfolds it for us and as we work at it. It's going to be exciting. Uh, and I'll write a few things about that in our e-news that'll come out. If you're not getting that, you should. There's a lot of important stuff there very often. So on our website, put it in. Also, uh, Trent prayed for uh, just the men in our church in general. And uh, I've noticed lately just a a sincere heart uh, in him for helping men move forward spiritually and with Christ and in their example and their life. And so we're going to have a a little men's retreat in the early part of December. It's going to be a Friday night, and then you can stay or go. We'll rent a house or something, and then Saturday morning through lunch, and we'll have a ton of food. We'll talk about monster trucks (laughs) and power tools and wrestling, and we'll also address... Uh, some things that'll, I think, help us move forward as men. So just keep that on your radar. You'll hear more about it soon. So that's my, you know, introduction uh, this morning. But I I do, uh, one thing about the message that we're going to be in today. Uh, We're we're in this series on Acts, and we have just a few left. I'm picking that back up. Again, many thanks to Mark and and Jim, who spoke when I was absent. and we're looking at the early church and how they flourished and took risks in the community that they were in. And they changed the world. God used them to do unbelievable things. And so we're looking at them and saying, well, how did they do this? What was that like? Well, we're in this part where things change a little bit and we're watching Paul and the people that are with him really move out. And here's the thing about today. This was a hard one for me because this one, honestly, it doesn't really end happily. And I'm an upbeat guy. You know, I don't want you to walk away from here going, oh man, what a downer. This guy just beat us down today. You know, I always want to see the silver lining and bring everybody up. But I just want to prepare you. This one really doesn't work like that. Uh, And I think that's part of being honest with the word. We're looking at what's happening in the scripture and we're not trying to candy coat it or even make it easier to swallow. What we're saying is this is what's here. So uh, I hope you'll be able to track with me. You're probably wondering, what the heck is he going to talk about? (laughs) Here's what I will say. This is the main thing that I'm going to say, so maybe this will help. If you're really following Christ, if you have decided to align yourself with him, chase hard after Christ and what his things are, then you are going to experience highs, really great highs, and you're going to experience big lows. This is what is the result of following Christ closely. So today we're going to focus a little bit more on some of the lows. 
We're going to be in Acts chapter 14. We're in the ESV version. There's a copy you can grab or read it up on the board. But uh, turn there, if you will. Acts 14, uh, verse 8. So Paul and Barnabas have been going through these different towns, uh, teaching about Jesus, and all these different things are happening. And we've skipped over a couple, but we're we're landing on this one. So uh, read along with me, if you will. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, and he had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that, his faith, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowds saw that what Paul had done, they lifted their voices, saying in Laconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard about it, they tore their garments and rushed into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men, just like you. And we bring good news that you should turn from these worthless things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, God allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without a witness. For he did good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfied your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. So here are Paul and Barnabas, and they're following God, and they're teaching about Jesus, and they are in all of these towns experiencing these incredible highs, these incredible things happening, and then these big lows. And there, there are four things that I want to pull out of this story as we walk through it this morning. One, it, the first one is this. There, if you're a believer, if you're a part of this church, if you're making up this church, then you and I need to choose what we are going to be about. Are we going to be about Christ? Are we going to follow after him? Or are we not? We, we all have to make that choice, and sometimes it's on a daily basis. But that's the first thing, the first principle. The second one is this, that when you have made that decision, you can expect trouble. When you make that decision, expect trouble. The third thing is, uh, engage the trouble with truth. So when you... When the trouble comes, be ready with the truth. And, and number four, and this is the big, the big uplifting one, expect more trouble. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if you're here and you're like, I don't know, I, I'm, you're trying to decide about church and Jesus and the Bible and, and all that, then I think this is probably a good time for you to sit back and go, okay, just soak this in and listen to it. Look at it in the Bible. Don't just listen to it from me and say, okay, what is this really saying? What's going on here? I, I, don't, I think this is a good time for the, the church and the scripture to be honest and for each one of us to really think about it honestly. Okay? Now, I, I don't want to start out and, and sound like I'm going to be just a complete downer. I hopefully will we'll do better than that, but we'll see. Here's the first thing. We need to choose what we're going to be about. 
if you read Acts, if you read this story of the early church, it doesn't make sense unless you see it in the context of the people who are in the story having chosen to follow Christ closely. Otherwise, why would they do any of the things that they're doing? There's no point in the story. That's why it's happening. Because at the end of Matthew, which we looked at a few weeks ago, Jesus says he's, a lot, he's resurrected, and he's, he said, guys, family, gals, all of you who are following me, you are going to draw people to me. This is what you're for, going to do. You're going to introduce people to me. And you're going to do it in your own town, and you're going to do it in the next town, in the next town, in the next town. And they say, okay, that's what we're going to do. And so this is, this is the story of that unfolding. They took that seriously. They said, that's what we're going to do. They made that choice. Paul and Barnabas had made this very specific choice that they were going to head out and follow Jesus figuratively, figuratively and literally. They were going to follow him and introduce people to him. They made that choice. So being quite honest, we have to decide if the sum total of our following Jesus is going to be sitting, up, sitting here on Sunday morning. Is, is that it? Is that the sum total of when we are ex- walking with Christ? Each one of us has to ask ourselves that question. You know, I'm really good at this. I can rationalize the tension between what I hear or read in the Word and... Uh, my, uh, let's call it uh, lukewarm attention to following Christ. Somehow I can sit there and, and hear it and go, well, but it's okay because of, of this. And this is where I'm at. And I just need, and that's okay. God has provided the church as a hospital for people to come and to relax and to be with him and to be in his word and to worship him. But as we walk with him, we're moving forward and we're, we, we have to be careful not to rationalize that so that the only time we're acting on our faith is when we walk to church on Sunday morning. And in Crested Butte, no one's going to see you do that. Right? Because everybody stayed up too late and played too hard. When we choose to follow Christ uh, and follow Him closely, then we're gonna, we'll relieve that tension, but it's not going to make everything go beautifully. It's going to be an adventure. It's not going to be safe. But I, what I would love for all of us to do today, is to, or this week even, is to try to come face to face with that and, and, and work through it with God, even as we uh, experience communion and a few moments to contemplate that this morning. And one thing you, you need to know about Obi Joyful is that this church, our mission is to bring reconciliation first to our town and then beyond. And that reconciliation is the word that we use to sum up what Jesus said. I want you to go and introduce people to me and then do it out further and further and further and bring healing and peace between people, between themselves, within themselves, with one another, and between God and man. Reconciliation, that is the word that this church is about. It's a summary of what Jesus said. So if you want to know okay, how do I tie into what this church is about? Then it's reconciliation. It's Matthew 28. It's what Jesus said at the end of his time with us. So that is following closely after Christ and after what he called us to do. When, uh, when we choose that, 
then we're going we're gonna to face... Let me put it this way. All of us, regardless if we're believers or not, we all go through trials. Our, our world is full of trials. God allows and uses those things to draw us closer to him. Sometimes they're just a result of what we've done, and that's where we're at. The Bible talks a lot about that, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about a different thing. These are trials, these are difficulties, lows and highs that, become, that come because we have decided to follow closely after Christ. Do you see the difference? This is different than just normal life that we all will expect to have hard times. We'll all, we'll, all, we'll all suffer. The difference here is that we are moving to a place where we said, I'm going to follow him closely, and now I'm going to experience something very different. Here's another way to put it. Uh, if you've been on a sports team before, you've been in the locker room, you've experienced the coach getting you psyched up, everybody's getting dressed, you know, kind of the clapping's going, everything's getting pumped up, and everyone goes out on the field, and you and I sit in the locker room. That's what we do when church is our expression of our faith. The locker room is the place to get pumped up, to get excited, to understand, to learn the play, to understand what's going on, but we're not on the field getting hit and experiencing the joy of, of the wins and the losses. So what I'm encouraging you to do and myself to do is to think, all right, when I get up in the morning, which, which is the choice that I'm going to make? Am I going to ride, not even ride the bench, I'm going to ride in the locker room or I'm going to be out on the field, actually playing the game. So, we got to make this decision. That's the first part. The second thing is we need to expect trouble. And I, and I think this is the... When, the more I looked at this passage, and I think you'll see it with me, the more I was surprised by the turn of events. Look with me at verse 11. When the crowd saw that Paul had healed this guy, that God had used Paul to make this guy walk as a proof that what was happening was real, they raised their voices and said in their own language, the gods have come down in the likeness of men. Now that must have been a really confusing situation for Paul. And Barnabas, they're there. Okay, this is great. Paul's preaching. They're all listening. Paul heals this guy. The guy stands up. Everybody's like, yeah. You know, they can't believe it. They're, they've seen him all there his whole life. And now he's, he's, he's standing and he's walking. And instead of that pointing people to God, the complete opposite thing happens. They say, Paul and Barnabas, you must be gods. That must have totally thrown them. You know, when you think that you're following God well, and everything's going great, and even God's doing good things, and all of a sudden, everything goes the other way. You see, it's kind of hard to see in this how, how drastic that is, because they must have been on a really high note there. And suddenly, it's totally reversed. And this has happened in the towns that they've come across uh, in the past. It's, it's like this formula. And if you were to go back, I'll show you a couple of these. Uh, look at verse, chap, chapter 14, 1 and 2. One of the towns they were in earlier was called Iconium. <clears throat> it's, that sounds like some kind of a disease. Uh, they entered Iconium together and they went to the Jewish synagogue and they spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed and then this is the key word in all these little formulas. Verse 2, but everything went wrong. Everything went south. And they got kicked out of town. And if you go back, we'll just go back one more chapter to chapter 13, verse 49. 
The word of the Lord was spreading through the whole region. This is before they were in Iconium. In the whole region in 50, but the Jews incited the people against them. They ran out. They were run out of town. This just happens over and over again. So what is the reaction that these guys have that, that uh, Paul and Barnabas have? They tear their clothes and they run out into the street. If you, if you read through the Bible, you see a lot of tearing of clothes, you know, and things are bad, and sackcloth and, ash, and ashes, things we don't really know much about. But really, the, the worst thing, when the worst things happen, and you are really protesting something, you might tear your clothes. And Paul and Barnabas aren't, you know, they don't have like a carriage, you know, and, big, and people carrying their luggage. They got an outfit, right? And that's it. And they're tearing this. They're saying, this is terrible. You've got to stop. So everybody's paying attention because they're actually tearing their clothes. They're that upset about it. And, and what that shows me is that even for the greatest, and I would call Paul and Barnabas some of the greatest followers of Christ, the most dedicated, the most focused, the most productive, even for them, things don't, it's not a, a smoothly paved road. So we, we need to look at that and say, okay, what, what do we need to expect here? What are we seeing that has happened even when God was moving like that? It wasn't smooth even for them. And they faced it every turn, every town, this really confusing situation where people started to believe and then suddenly everything went south. So I think it's safe to say, if you look at the scripture and we decide that we're going to follow Christ well, that things may be difficult for us. We'll have to balance the very good high things and the low things that come. So the third thing I want to point out to you about this is, is what I see Paul do next, and that's that he meets the trouble that he faces with the truth. That's the first thing that he does, is he meets the thing that is beating him down and beating his partner down with the truth. I think it's pretty cool, especially in this, that Paul does it, he does this out loud for them. I think it's for himself too. But when he speaks to these people, he speaks to them in their vernacular, in their understanding. He doesn't say, hey, hold on guys, you know what it says in verse so-and-so of this and that of the Bible? He doesn't do that because these people are Greek God-worshiping people, right? So it wouldn't make any sense. So he, he doesn't use any text or anything like that. But he goes back to Genesis 1 in his mind. And look what he says in verse 15, four, chapter 14, 15. Verse 15. Men, why are you doing this? We are also men. We're just like you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and everything that is in the sea and everything that is in them. We're just like you. That's the first thing. He goes back and tells about God, but he says, men, we're just like you. And I don't think that's always the message that Christians give their community. Hey, we're just like you. We got big problems. In fact, our problems are the same ones that you have. We've done all the same dumb stuff. So I'm not better than you, and I'm not judging you. And that's not the message that the community and our world gets from believers. We need to be constantly aware of that. And Paul immediately identifies it. I am not a God. I am just like you. I am not better than you. I am just like you. In fact, I am created by the same God that you're seeking after. They're looking for the real God. They named him other things like Zeus and his helpers, Hermes, etc., etc. But 
They were looking for the real God. And he says, hey, there is a real one. He's bigger than all of us, and he created everything. And y'all, that's particularly poignant to us and to the people that come here. Because we're all here because we look outside and we go, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Every day, hopefully. We say, these things point to God. But then Paul does one more thing. He's reminding himself of, and them of his place, of God's place. But he says, you can also see in this creation that God is good. It's not just that he made this stuff, but that God is good. He says he brings you rain. He provides crops. He satisfies you. He, make, he in fact, makes you happy. He, he meets your needs. He is good. And so he's, he's saying all of these things to them that will make sense to them in their context. He, he also answers a question that they have, I think, that's unspoken. Because if I was them, I would say, well, why haven't we heard about this before now? Where has this message been? We've been standing here waiting. We've been looking, but why haven't we heard? And he says, in verse 16, he says, in past generations, God, God let nations look for him on their own. But he did not, it says in 17, he didn't leave himself without that witness. The rains from heaven, he provided these fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with gladness. He's, he's building this argument. And this is how Paul does. He's, he's amazing at this. And if you read all of his speeches or his messages, you'll see this. He builds it up and he builds it up. He says, there's, we're just men. There's a God. There's, you can know him because he's good. And then there's a savior. And then you've got sin. And then blah, blah, you know, you need all, and he moves it up. And before he gets there, his speech this time gets interrupted, just cut off. You can see him building it up. And you can almost picture the scene. He, he, he's... They've gotten quiet. They've seen the torn clothes. He's trying to tell them as, as quickly as he can. He's got to change this because can you imagine? He's a Pharisee, right? He's like a, a teacher of the law. He's known the law his whole life. And suddenly he gets to this place. One of the first things he always taught people was uh, the first commandment. You'll have no other gods before me. And now these guys have said, you're a God. That's a problem for him. Okay, this is a big bad thing that's happening. He's trying to put that away. He's trying to stop that. But they interrupt him. It says, even with these words, they still wanted to sacrifice to him. And here's here's the thing, I think. Paul's Paul's been in a lot of dangerous, risky situations. And I think at this point, he's thinking, if I'm going down, the last thing on my lips is going to be the truth about God. You see the... See where he's going with this? He's in a really dangerous situation. He knows how volatile this crowd is. He knows it could go either way. The last thing that's going to be on his mind and on his lips is the one true God. And I think that's what, to me, that's what I I see. And I go, okay, when God does bring us through very difficult times as we follow him, we expect these hard times to come. The things that are on our lips need to be about him. The things that are on our heart, we need to be reminding ourselves about who he is and what he's done, even if it's the most basic stuff. Like these rocks are pointing to God. One other thing about that is that uh, if we zoom out on this situation now that's kind of come to a halt and they're, they're not listening to Paul anymore and everything's in turmoil, if we zoom out, I, I don't think we can see this situation as, as seeming like very successful. Things don't look so good. One of the things about human beings is that in, in our economy, the way we look at things is, is materialistically. Things are good 
if the material things are working out, if I have health, if I have the things that I want, um, if I'm happy, uh, if my friends are happy, if I'm successful. But that doesn't really play out in God's economy. Sometimes those are blessings that God brings. But those blessings are really only the blessings of God when they overlap with his economy. Do you see what I mean? We live in this economy that says all these material things are the right things. This is how we measure success. Then God says, no, this, this, is, this is what I'm after. And it doesn't always look like you think it's going to look. And when those two things converge, those blessings that are material, physical, etc., etc., those are God's blessings. Otherwise, they're just things that are happening. Because when we have our eyes on God, when we're following closely after Jesus, then what's happening is that we are, we're in his economy. And so a hard story like this maybe isn't quite as hard because we have a bigger picture. We have greater things going on than what's immediately going to satisfy me. We're working in God's economy. And it was, uh, you know, the Roman emperor, uh, one in particular, was really upset with Christians because uh, when they persecuted them, even tortured them, he, he couldn't understand how they, they didn't, they would still sing hymns even in the worst times. It's because they were a part of God's economy. And so they were speaking the truth about what God was doing despite the circumstances that they were in. So we've got to make a choice. We're going to expect trouble to be a part of what happens after that. We're going to meet that trouble with the truth. And finally, and, and briefly, uh, we're going to find trouble again. Because I didn't read to you this verse the first time. Look at verse 19. This is immediately after what we just read. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they persuaded these volatile crowds and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So not only were they called gods, not only could he not do anything about that, but these people come from 100 miles away because they're so angry. They, they incite the crowd to the point where they beat him to death with rocks. And they take him outside the city. He's knocked out. They assume that he's dead and, and leave him there. Things don't go well. So my prayer for us is that we wouldn't have to face that kind of a low. That's a really low low. Dragged out of the city, left for dead. You can picture that. I don't think we're in that kind of situation right now. But when we decide that we're going to follow closely after Christ, we need to know that that's going to lead us into this, through this window that brings us really incredible highs when people are coming to know Jesus and follow him. And we're, that's an incredible thing. The church is growing. At the same time, we've just got to know that hard things are going to come. And I want to encourage you and ask you to, to ask yourself, am, am I in the locker room? Am I, am I sitting there just waiting for something to happen? Or could you 
And could I make this choice to, to step out on, onto the field and be a part, even, even start to head that way, throw on the uniform, get moving in that direction. And I think to myself, where would we be today if the first century church didn't do these things? Where would we be? And, and if, if they were all sitting inside their church, hanging out and eating food together, we would not know because they would have never made an impact on their neighborhood and beyond and beyond. So that falls to us for future generations. You know? um, but as we do that, we have to expect that it's going to be tough, and that's, that's just the reality of it. In just a moment, we're going to, Lisa's going to lead us, and we're going to take communion together. Communion is just a really good time uh, as we remember who Christ is and what he's done for us to just contemplate for a moment and to ask ourselves those questions uh, and to ask him, you know, if you haven't come to put your faith in Christ, is that something you want to do? This is a time to think about that. If you have been sitting for a long time, you're ready to move, okay, talk to God about that right now when we, when we have this time. Just take these solemn moments, which we rarely have, and use them to be with him and, and, to, challenge, and to be challenged by him Ask yourself, where, where am I going next? Am I following you closely, Christ? Or am I, or am I still going to sit? Well, let me pray, and, and Lisa, if you'll get going. Father, we, uh, we just come to you. Thank you for the fact that uh, the Bible isn't just a bunch of rosy stuff. That it, wouldn't, it would just be uh, platitudes and uh, wishful thinking. But God, you've, we live in a world that's fallen, and while you rescue us in your economy, in the end, Lord, we know that uh, there are hard times to come. And I pray... Lord, that our church would be one that would choose, uh, God, to all together, all in our different places in our walk with you, uh, continually, each one of us take even baby steps and some big steps towards walking closely with Jesus and and following him, Lord, into into our community first and then to the next town and the next town, uh, just like he called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.